Father, we thank you for the gift of music that helps us express our worship of you, both in words and just, just in music. Thank you for giving us a way to, to do that, to express that. And even as we look at this passage today that really is about expressing what's in our hearts and expressing it to you as best we can, I, I just pray that you'd encourage us in that today. I pray you'd help us see how awesome you are today, how holy you are as, as we look at what that even means. Father, would you be with us as we look at your word? Would you guide us into it? Would you show us what to do with it? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to switch things up a little bit today and have the sermon first. So I was, I was in the... Uh, I was in the airport uh, <clears throat> back in April, and I was picking up Pastor Daniel Kagwa and Erica Kagwa from Uganda. Uh, they were just getting in. I was going to bring them up here. And you remember that Sunday where they shared? And as I was waiting for them to come off this international flight, uh, I was sitting down, and I, I didn't know it yet, but their flight got delayed. And, and no one had told me, so I'm just sitting there waiting. And there was a woman that sat down maybe a couple seats away and we were facing this glass and facing, uh, we were at O'Hare and we're facing outwards to like taxis and uh, uh, people getting picked up. And I'm just kind of watching everything unfold. And, and as she sits down, I notice that she's crying. And, and she's getting on her phone and looking at her phone and she's crying. And, and then she gets on her phone and, and she's saying something about something happening and I hear something about the hospital and I, I didn't really know what was going on, but she gets off the phone and she just keeps crying. And so I'm sitting there like, you know, I don't want to be that guy that's like, hey, tell me what's going on, you know. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just thinking, boy, something is really bothering her. And, and she's here at the airport. I don't know what's going on. So I said, I, I, don't, I don't want to, excuse me, I don't want to eavesdrop or anything like that, but I just noticed you were upset and I'm a pastor you got to go. You got to lead with that. By the way, you know, if you can lead with that, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I said. Um, I, I like praying for people. Is something going on I can pray about? And and she she said thank you, and she said yes. She had flown here from New York, and she was she was flying into town because her sister was uh, having their having a baby, and they're going to celebrate the baby's life. But uh, her parents. That day, like that afternoon, we're in like a terrible car accident, and they were rushed to the emergency room, and, I, and she thinks her mom's okay, but she's not sure if her dad's okay. And, and she was just trying to get news, and she wasn't sure, and no one could tell her, and so she's just crying. And so we talked for a few minutes, and I, and I tried to say, you know, the Lord had this planned. I mean, you were here for this. E- even though you came for a birth, you were here for a time when your parents needed you. And so praise God that you're here for that and in this moment. And she said, thank you. And I don't know what kind of faith she had. She said, well, my parents uh, grew up in the church, and so I've kind of been around it. But, you know, she didn't really commit any way there. And so I said, well, can I pray? And she says, yes. Yeah. So, so we prayed together. Now, I think we've all had those moments where um, we're going into something and we're excited about the day, like life is good, uh, there, there's something good going on, a celebration of some sort, only to have it ruined or maybe marked by 
by a tragedy, by, by losing someone, or, you know, we, we kind of understand we live in this, this world where one family can be celebrating new life and another can be mourning the loss of, of, of someone wonderful in their family. And sometimes that's what's in the same family. And, and we kind of live with that tension. I say that to say, we're looking at a story today where uh, we're talking about the life of David, where David is in full celebration mode, and, and rightly so. I mean, this is like the best day. And then it becomes marked by tragedy, and everything kind of turns in David's mind. And I want to look at why. I want to look at what happened. I want to talk about what's going on. So would you turn to Second Samuel chapter 6? Second Samuel chapter 6. And I want to catch you up on what's been going on. We've been talking about David being on the run from King Saul, Saul's incredible jealousy. This is the end of Saul's story. And if, we, if I was going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I would have, I would have preached all of this because it, it's a really amazing story how this all plays out. But um, you have Saul and Jonathan on the battlefield fighting the Philistines, and, and they both die. And, and, and Saul sees that they're going to lose the battle, and he decides to fall on his own sword. In fact, I think that's become an expression in our day and age for kind of taking one for the team, falling on your own sword. And, and, and he does that. And in a sense, he, he goes out of this life in a way that, that that's kind of how his whole kingship was. You know, he was kind of, he was self-destructive. And, and so going out that way really, in a sense, speaks to his whole kingship. The Lord made him king. The people clamored for a king like the nations, but he wasn't a king that followed the Lord. He was a king that self-destructed. But Jonathan dies, and, and, and Saul dies, and David mourns their deaths. But on the other hand, David is now free to pursue kingship in Israel the way God has designed, the way God has laid this out. And so the, the stage has been cleared and David steps up and gets anointed king. First thing he does is he goes to Jerusalem, and what he wants to do is unite the northern and the southern kingdoms, in, like Israel and Judah. He wants to unite them, and so he captures Jerusalem and, and overtakes it, and that becomes his capital city, thus kind of in the middle, uniting Israel together under his rule. And it will stay that way under his rule and Solomon's rule. After that, it gets broken again. But... He takes the city. And in celebration of all of these things, because it says the Lord is with him in doing all these things, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant in to Jerusalem to celebrate what God has done. That's where we pick up the story. So I'll turn there too, 2 Samuel 6. You can time me now. hate that. 2 Samuel 6. That wasn't too bad. Here we are. Um, David again brought together all the able young men in Israel, 30,000. He and his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of Yahweh Almighty, the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guarding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before Yahweh. 
with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Yahweh's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah and to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of of Yahweh that day and said, How can the ark of Yahweh ever ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of Yahweh to be with him into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. We'll pause at that point. So, check out Leviticus 22.32. It says, Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. I I am Yahweh. Now, I didn't realize this, but all throughout Torah, um, you have this expression, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, who makes you holy. All throughout Torah, you have God declaring his holiness and then saying, and I make you holy. Um, and, and then and then do not, don't profane my holy name. Don't, don't, don't treat my name badly. Don't, don't treat me like um, I'm some other kind of God or some other kind of person. You better treat me as special. When we use the word holy, um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's a word that means separate, different, literally could be cut apart, cut off. It, it, it's different than anything else. So what we mean by holy is we mean God is... Is, is different from anyone else. He's, he's perfect. Morally perfect is one thing we mean. But we also mean there's no other being like him in the universe. And, and I think, I always try to think, how, how do I even try to explain that? I think as human beings, we understand that people, especially as Christians, all people are made in the image of God. That, that human life has incredible value even though there's like billions of us on the planet. Would you agree? There's billions of us on planet Earth. Some live in in dire conditions. Some live in the dirt. And yet I think as believers we would look at them and say, but they have incredible value. Not only to the Lord, but also to us. That's why people go on missions trips. That's why people go and they they help people in the world that that are living in, in, in just incredible poverty. Now, there's, there's billions of us here. What do you say about a being where there's only one of him? There's only one like him. How, how valuable is he? And it's astronomical. He is the greatest treasure. He's holy. So we're supposed to treat him as holy. And that's what the verse is getting at. You better acknowledge me as holy. Now, what's going on in the story? The lead-in for the story, kind of the setup, I mean, you see all this talk about the Ark of the Covenant and probably the Ark being made famous by uh, movies and things, but um, the Ark of the Covenant is this piece of furniture that the Israelites carried around in the wilderness before they got to their land. You know, they left Egypt and God said, I want you to build this tabernacle. I want you to build a tent. 
There's going to be two compartments, a holy place and a most holy place. And the most holy place will have the Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was this gold piece of furniture, as you can kind of see behind the text there, that, that symbolized God's presence among his people. It says, it says the glory of the Lord would come into that tent and it would fill the holy of holies. It would fill that place. And you couldn't just go into that place or you'd die. Uh, they could go in, the priests could go in it once a year. So, so the Ark of the Covenant was special. And so what they did, they wanted to celebrate, David, King David now, wanted to celebrate his kingship. He wanted to celebrate God's presence. I mean, he, he knows that God got him into this. I mean, God's the one that chose him to be king. So, of course, he wants to celebrate that. So all the people are dancing. It, it, it's full celebration mode. And then you've got Uzzah, who messes everything up. Be- Maybe it was messed up before Uzzah got onto the scene because they put the ark on a new cart. Now, I understand new cart. Like, not the one you, you, you hauled the hay and you hauled the stuff in. You know, it, It's a new cart. But... If you read Torah, if you read you know, Exodus, it says you're supposed to put poles through the rings of the Ark of the Covenant and the priest should carry it. Like that's what the word of the Lord said. Do it this way. If you're going to transport it, put the poles through and do it that way. And they didn't listen. Now, God didn't like immediately strike them for doing that. I mean, the, the cart is on the move and the oxen stumble. Again, it wasn't supposed to be oxen. It should have been priests. Levites, to be exact. And the oxen stumble. And Uzzah, you know, he's there and he's thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to reach out and I'm going to steady the ark. Now, I don't, I don't know of any verse that says you must not touch the ark. Apparently they didn't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark to see what would happen, you know, if you got too close to that thing. It's face-melting time, you know. I mean, it's like, if only you would have known. Steven Spielberg knew. Um, but... He reaches out to steady it, and, then, and God just kills him. He just dies right there. He, he, he touches what is holy. Now, I can be sympathetic for Uzzah because it's in the moment, and you see oxen stumble, and you're like, the, the Ark of the Covenant is on this cart. Like, what are you going to do? And, and just in the split second, he could think, what am I going to do? I'm going to steady the Ark. And it was the wrong decision. It, it was a terrible decision. And he died. And this is one of those verses, this is one of those passages where, you know, you, you read it and you go, oh, this is a hard one, right? This is, this is not one you want to focus on. This is, this is a scary one, in a sense. This is, not the, this is not the way, I don't want my kids to grow up thinking God is like this. Like God's temper can flare up and suddenly we're, a guy dies. I remember I was in high school and I don't remember a lot of things I learned in Sunday school. I didn't like Sunday school very much. There, I said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sunday school teachers, you're going to have to forgive me. But I remember they played a video series by R.C. Sproul, and I'm like, even worse, an old guy preaching on the video screen. You know, I mean, goodness. And this was his first message that we had in Sunday school with a video. And I've never seen a video preacher like that before. And... And uh, he taught this passage, and it was, like, life-changing for me. I just, just want to let you know that. Like, I thought, this is who God is? That he would strike someone dead for touching the ark? What is going on? 
And I, and I never really thought about God's holiness until I came across this passage, which, which reminds me we have these hard passages to, to, to tell us we don't have always the right conception of God. He's more complex than what we think. He's deeper than what we think. Here, here's the issue. I mean, this just, it just smacks us in the face. God is holy and we are not. And Uzzah's mistake is this. He's worried that the ark will fall off the cart, perhaps, and get dirty on the ground. Maybe it even rained the day before and it was muddy. Who knows? And he was worried that that mud or that dirt would touch the gold, and that would be the tragedy of the day. Let's take it a step further. Maybe he was worried the ark was going to fall in oxen dung, you know? I mean, that's a bad day, right, when the ark of the covenant falls into dung? I mean, come on. But the tragedy is sinful human hands touch what is holy. It's not that the dirt was dirty. It's that his hands were dirty. All right? It's not that the dirt was dirty. So number one, God's holiness causes us to fear, because the, the response of David is this. It says he was angry, and on the one hand, maybe he was angry because this is a big celebration that was now ruined, right? We've all had days like that. Big celebration, now ruined. Or, or maybe he was angry because he's like, Uzzah, Uzzah what, were, what were you thinking? You know, it doesn't tell us why he's angry, but then it does tell us that he was scared. Um, where are we at here? Verse 9. David was afraid of Yahweh that day and said, how can the ark of Yahweh ever come to me? This is the guy who slew the giant, Goliath. This is the guy who killed the lion and the bear, stopped him from attacking the sheep. This is the guy who trusted the Lord. We talked about him week after week now. Like he's a guy who just, a man who just knew the Lord was going to help him. We, We talked about that. I want to have that sort of confidence in God. And here is God not behaving the way David wants him to. And there ends the challenge of it. There are aspects of God that ought to terrify us. And His holiness is one of those. Because His holiness demands that you be holy as He is holy. His holiness says, if your sinful hands come in contact with me, I will wipe you out. You ever see um, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, um, Curse of the Black Pearl, Johnny Depp's in it, and, and the pirates are all under a curse. They've got to return the gold doubloons or whatever. And, and they're like, we're all cursed. And you're kind of like, well, you don't look like you're cursed. But then the moon comes out and it shines on them and you, and you, and you see them for what they really are. And they're kind of like all skeletons and they're tattered clothes. They don't look so, they didn't look good before really, they're pirates. But they really looked bad after the moon shined on them. And, and I think that when you consider the holiness of God, it's like the moon shining on you and you realize the curse of sin. Like you realize what you really look like. You realize that you could be the guy to say, oh, it's just the ark, I'm going to help it out. And your mistake costs you your life. Why? Like, why, why is God in some sense terrifying to human beings? Answer. 
Because we are sinful and he is perfect. We're sinful, he's perfect. I think our problem is we don't understand how sinful we are. And yes, I am going to talk about grace this morning. Don't worry, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Um, but, but we are sinful and God is perfect. There's nobody like him. And we just kind of get used to living with our sinfulness and just kind of glossing over it. You know, it, it's kind of like if you saw sin the way he saw sin. I don't know, but in the summer, garbage stinks a little more, don't you know? Like, like when you bag up your garbage and you put it in the, in the garbage can. Or, or maybe the garbage cans are full and you put one on top because you have guests in or something, you know, and you go through more garbage than normal. And, and a few days in the heat in your garage or wherever you put it, and it just starts to stink. And then you get, you get the flies, you know. You get the maggots. I hate that. I hate that. I love summer, but I hate that. Um, I know at least one time, I was sure that one of my kids threw something away that I needed. I don't remember what it was, but I remember digging in that, you know. That's the worst job ever, you know. Like, my kids should have done that, not me. But I'm, I'm, I'm digging in, and, and it's just stuff, ugh, awful. Now, I think this is our problem. When we sin, it's like we're taking a hot summer garbage bath, you know. We're just, like, dumping it on us. We're just, you know, right here and just getting nasty. And we stink. And then God's grace rushes in and forgives us. We're clean. Stick us under a fresh waterfall. Like, we, we are completely clean. And sometimes we forget how much we stunk, you know? We, we, we forget how bad that was, how, how gross it was, how detestable to God it is. Because we don't smell it anymore. We just kind of walk away from it and suddenly we're clean again. I don't think we understand what our sin means to a holy God. You want to touch him with your dirty hands, you die. You just die. Isaiah stands before God. Isaiah the prophet stands before God in heaven and he's like, I, I, am, a, I am a man of unclean lips. Like, like the first thing Isaiah thought was, woe is me, I've got a dirty mouth. And, and I've said some things too. How is it that you can stand before God and the first thing you think is, boy, I've got to clean up my My mouth is so dirty. I, I just don't think we fully grasp the steaming pile of maggot garbage <laughs> that is dumped on us and we think it's not a big deal. And God's like, I, I, I want to forgive all of that. We're going to talk about that in a second. But it stinks. And I am holy. I heard someone say this. I, I, don't know what I, I don't know how I feel about this statement, but I heard someone say this. If, if I were to die, uh, I, think this, I think this is R.C. Sproul actually that said this. If I were to die and God were to send me to hell, and I wasn't actually forgiven. I'd be very disappointed because I've set my whole life up, but, um, but God would still be right to send me there. He'd be right to send me there. Now, I know there's Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I died for you. I, I understand that, I, I, I know. I totally know. But could, could you get in the mindset that if, if, 
when people die without Christ, God is holy to say, there's no heaven for you. It's not for you. Like, if that doesn't make you tremble, I don't know what will. Because that's the God that you worship. Have you thought about that? And I'm concerned because, and I'll just say this as a point of application. Try to shorten things a little bit here. As a point of application, don't even think about trying to change his holy moral commands, okay? I mean, if you're one of those people where you're like, no, I think there's wiggle room here. I think we can get around these different... Don't do it. Don't do it. He's holy. And when he says, these are my commands you better back up and say, okay, those are his commands. How can we obey them? How can we obey them? By the way, yes, I know there's cultural things and ceremonial laws. We've talked about that in this place before, what those are like today. But God's morality doesn't change. He doesn't accommodate us. He doesn't say, well, Uzzah, I guess it's okay that you studied the ark. I know you had good intentions. God doesn't care about our good intentions. Okay, I'll keep going. So, um, David fears God because God hasn't acted according to what he's used to. He's holy. He's different. But they leave the ark with Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blesses him and his whole household. This is verse 11. So now King David was told the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom and everything he has. The ark of the Lord is there. So uh, David went to bring up the ark of God. This is verse 12 from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of Yahweh had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing the linen ephah, David was dancing before Yahweh with all of his might while he and the Israelite, Israel were bringing up the ark of Yahweh with shouts and sounds of trumpets. The ark of Yahweh was entering the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of Yahweh and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before Yahweh. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person, the whole crowd of, Isra- of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in, in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before Yahweh who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over Yahweh's people Israel. I will celebrate before Yahweh. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Secondly, then, when we think about God's holiness, the news gets better. God's holiness ought to cause us to celebrate. Celebrate. I mean, they're, they're making sacrifices. David is dancing. He's taking off the kingly robes. And he's making a fool of himself before the Lord. And clearly the Lord is um, approving of it because when Michael despises him and says, what are you doing? You're a vulgar, vulgar person. And, and David, I will become even more indignified than this. 
And then it says Michael couldn't have any couldn't have any children to the day of her death. So clearly the Lord acted and gave his blessing on David, dancing the way he was, celebrating the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord's presence coming into Jerusalem. Now, we'd say God's holiness causes us to celebrate. Why? Because we are saints and God is with us. I don't know of the passage in the Bible where we ought to call ourselves sinners, like our identity is a sinner. You know, I, I don't see that as a New Testament thing. When the New Testament talks about believers, it calls us saints. You know what saint means? It doesn't mean old guy that did a miracle and was, you know, hollowed by the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Um, a saint is, the, the word, the root of the word is a holy one, a holy person. And, and, and when you read the beginning of different letters of Paul, he's like, to the saints in Ephesus. To the saints in Rome. Like, like he's just saying, you're the holy ones. God made you holy. I want you to think about what God is doing here, what he's saying here. Um, the Lord, the Holy One, wants to be close with his people. I'll take you on a little tour through God's desiring to be close to us. Can we get the first verse? Uh, The Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. This is Genesis. This is Adam and Eve. And God is with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. They have fellowship together until they sin. Next verse. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So now... You've got a whole nation God is making, and we're talking about this now. They build a tent, and and God meets with them in the tent. God is getting closer to his people, but sin is here, so you better be careful, because if you walk into the Holy of Holies on the wrong day, or if you touch the ark, it's disaster for you. Even though God wants to be with his people. Next verse. Um, This is... uh, Solomon, I intend therefore to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son whom I put on the throne in your place will build the temple for my name. So they go from a tabernacle. Solomon says, I'm going to build a temple. I'm going to build a building for God. And so there was temples. Next verse. Now you've got Christmas, and and you've got Jesus being born. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you've gone from the Garden of Eden, now there's sin. Now God says, how am I going to get close to a sinful people? I'm going to be in a tabernacle, and you better treat me correctly the way I've prescribed, otherwise I will break out and, and, and you will die. And then after the tabernacle, there's a temple. Build a building. And now we're beyond buildings. Now we've got the Son. The Son is God with us. We have four Gospels. Next verse. And then Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. And when you believe that, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So for all the believers out there that are suffering at the hands of ISIS and terrorists and Islamic extremists, when you destroy a Christian... You're destroying God's temple. You wonder why Christians are targeted. This is your explanation because a a believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So every believer that Satan destroys 
It's like he's destroying the temple. Okay? And God says, I will pay them back because they've destroyed my temple. That's a serious thing when we see Christians dying, being beheaded. They're destroying the temple. Next verse. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from, the, from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body is a temple. You need to honor God with what you do with this body because this is where he lives now. It's not Uzzah touching the ark. It's actually inside you. Could you just make some connections this morning and let that blow your mind a little bit? Can you just think about what that means? Uzzah touches the presence of God with his sinful hands and he dies. And now I've got God's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit living in me. Think about that and the fact that you're not consumed every day you live based on what you've done and what I've done. Next verse, Revelation 21, 1 through 7. I want to just read this. You can turn there if you'd like. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling. Remember? God's dwelling. It was in a tabernacle. It was in a temple. It was in Jesus Christ, God incarnate. It was in us. And now, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's like God is trying to say over and over again, I just want to be with my people. I just want to be near human beings. And I don't know why other than to say this, that God is love that God is grace. Why would you want to be in a relationship with this person right here? Because I love him. That's it. That's it. Why do you want to be near me? Because I love you. What else? You know, I took my kids to, um, we were on vacation last week. I was in Peoria. Then we spent a couple days in Chicago. And I went by by the John Hancock building. And right across the street there is a little, little, uh, church that has a courtyard with a fountain right across the street. And that's where I proposed to Christy. She said yes. <laughs> and I took all my kids in there. I, we took some pictures because it's like, you know, it, it all started here. You know, it all started here. She said yes to spending her life with this guy. You know, she's got to wake up with me every day for better or for worse. And, and she's got to deal with me. And she's got, to, she's got to look at this face for the rest of her life. It's true. I don't know. But, but I know she loved me enough to say yes. And so, again, I don't know. But I know God said, I love you. And I want to be with you forever in heaven. And it's like, God, you don't need me for anything. But, okay. Okay. Put your Holy Spirit in me. 
and one day I get to see you face to face and I get to live with you forever. Friends, that's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to dance before the Lord. I, I know we're too holy for that. But we're actually, we're not too holy for that, right? Because when you realize God's holiness is living in you, that ought to make you a little thrilled. So friends, I know we can get stuffy in the church. I know. But today when we respond in worship, if you want to raise your hands, would you raise your hands? And if you want to get a little excited, get excited. If you actually want to smile during worship, smile. If you want to cry a few tears, cry a few tears. And if the person next to you is looking at you going, what in the world? Just say, God's holy and he loves me. I have no idea why. But he does. He does. He loves you. It's okay to let loose a little bit. To let loose a lot. Let's pray. Worship team. Father, thank you for loving us so much. You are the Holy One. And somehow you've transformed us into holy people. You made us into a temple that you could live in. The Holy of Holies inside my heart. And I don't deserve it. None of us do. And yet, that's what you wanted. You willed this. You did this. Jesus Christ bought this. So I thank you that we are now saints. I thank you that we're not under your wrath. But I do pray we could stand in awe of you for all that you are even the parts we can't fully comprehend. May we celebrate well. In Jesus' name, amen.